This idea that our health agencies and that medical journals and hospitals are there to protect us is something that we have to get over. It's, it's not accurate. And I know that's really hard to swallow, believe, comprehend. That's really uncomfortable. But I have come to that conclusion after more than 20 years of research. We have to understand that they are all bought and controlled by a cartel and that we live under, it's not the military industrial complex, it's the medical complex that truly dominates our world. And the last two years are crystal clear evidence of that. Ready to live at the higher vibrations where peace, love, joy, and good health are the daily standard? That's what this show is all about. Welcome to Vibe. And here's your host, Robin Openshaw. Hey everyone, Robin Openshaw. Welcome back to the Vibe Show. I don't know if you guys saw the Reiner Fulmick uh, grand jury. I mean, it was kind of like, I think it's kind of like a moot court kind of thing. And at first I was mad at him. I was like, you said you would bring us lawsuits a year ago. Why are we, why are we doing this? But oh my goodness, listening to the talks given by, and it was really tight too. Um, I'm introducing you to one of the people who spoke today who blew my socks off. Her name is Leslie Manukian. I'm going to tell you her bio really fast. She's like me. She has like all this experience that doesn't look like it's, it goes together because she's like an MBA and a homeopath, right? Like that seems so like corporate and crunchy, mushed together. She's a president and founder of Health Freedom Defense Fund, a nonprofit which seeks to rectify health injustice through education, advocacy, and legal challenges to unjust mandates, laws, and policies that undermine our health freedoms and human rights. She speaks and writes and advocates on topics of health, freedom, nutrition, personal development, politics, and more. You guys are going, why don't you know each other till now? Like, this is <laughs> this is my resume, right? Um, she's a former successful Wall Street business executive and an award-winning documentary filmmaker and a qualified homeopath. She conceived, wrote, and produced The Greater Good. Um, you guys may have seen it. The Greater Good, you guys, that's one of the best... Uh, you know, documentaries out there. That was a while ago. I didn't know this about you, Leslie. This is awesome. An award-winning documentary exploring vaccines. She serves on the boards of the Weston A. Price Foundation, the Health Freedom um, Idaho. She's an Idahoan, so right across the border, same terrible cabal governor, uh, different name, same terrible person. Uh, are you in Washington? Board. Where are you? Uh, well, I fled the Socialist Republic of Utah, but okay. <laughs> I, I led out in the freedom fight there, and we were marching down State Street, and we were three three weeks straight in front of the governor's mansion, flying in Dull Big Tree, 12 huge protests in the court, and then I I, I up, at, up and ran to Florida, so I'm a Floridian now. Oh, wow. But um, so she's been in dozens of TV, radio, print, and internet interviews, and she's been in a lot of conferences. But she has an MBA from the University of Chicago, which is a really elite school. She has uh, multiple other degrees, including looks like an advanced degree in homeopathy. Welcome to the Vibe Show, Leslie Manukian. Hi, Robin. Thank you so much for having me. It's great to be here. Really appreciate it. Of course. Well, I, I don't know how our paths haven't crossed till now because I was on 450 city speaking tour and I was in Idaho over and over and over again for like six years. You know, I think I went to Idaho like 16 times and did three cities in Idaho and Idaho doesn't have very many big cities. So um, I love what you're doing. I love your courage. I love everything that you had to say on the Reiner Fulmick show. 
can we just start with, because this was like sort of an aside that you mentioned and I was gobsmacked by it. So my audience has now heard, I think, six stories of hospital homicide. And, you know, I have to do like three hours with the family member because they're not people who go on shows. Yeah. Right. Like you, you've had this whole professional experience and you're pro, but, and, and these people are in pain and they are devastated and they, um, they don't know which details to share because their story is so big and so many horrible things happened to them in this hospital. If they were even allowed into the hospital, your father-in-law had a yellow star. What? It's even, it's so much worse than that. My father-in-law was on dialysis. So he was a dialysis patient and he was, you know, high risk and all this stuff. And, um, but he chose not to get the shot and he had, I don't know what was going on with him. He'd had dialysis the night before and he, um, oh, that's what it was. He'd had a, I actually haven't told this whole story, been meaning to write a whole blog on it, but I'll just tell you guys, it's unbelievable what happened to them. They lied. They covered up stuff. They refused treatment. They posted a yellow star on his door in the hospital because he chose not to get the jab. So now, it was for people who don't know, yes. I mean, the yellow star, it wasn't the yeah. star of David. It was a five pointer, not a six pointer, but oh my gosh, the historical symbolism of that is just disgusting, despicable. Did, did you ever get to the bottom of who did that? Like who made a decision that that's a that's a thing we should do in that hospital. I believe it was St. Luke's Idaho policy. These people are sick. They are sick. I'm sorry. I've tried to be <laughs> measured and calm in my statements. I'm disgusted and appalled by these evil people because that's what they are. Let me so tell you, it, they just, administered a stop. test to him. Let me just tell you really quick. They administered a test to him. He, We found him unresponsive. He'd had dialysis, really intense dialysis down at the kidney center the night before. And sometimes when he had, he usually did home dialysis, which is much more gentle. He would do that five days a week instead of three days a week, which is what they do in the center. It's way more potent. And it literally wiped him out. This has happened before. He couldn't walk when he came out of there. The next morning we found him unresponsive. We call 911. He's taken to the hospital. They give him an admit, uh, you know, after two or three hours, they administer him a COVID test, and they say he has COVID. Literally. So I start asking him all the questions because I know everything. I'm like, hey, well, what kind of a test did you administer? Oh, it was a PCR. Well, what was the cycle threshold on that test? Uh, I don't know. And the guy's throat, the, the ER doctor's throat, he came out after two hours, just turned beet red because he knew he was dealing with someone who knew what she was talking about. Um, and more I don't than know. him. You knew more than he did about it. Clearly. And I said, well, can you get that information for us? Uh, 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 um, you'll have to call the lab. Well, can I, you know, or, or maybe, I don't know, and I'm too busy and this and that. Anyway, just obfuscation, obfuscation. I ended up calling the lab the next day. We threw the test away. They said, that's illegal. They didn't have the results. They couldn't prove it. They couldn't prove anything. And it got, he was much, much better than they transferred him to it. They told us that this little hospital where I live, I live in a small town, Sun Valley, Ketchum, Idaho. They told us that there was nowhere to transfer him because there were no beds available at any St. Luke's facility in um, Twin Falls, Boise, or Nampa, Idaho, which are all basically 90 miles to 150 miles away from us. And it's just, you know, I live in a small ski resort, little host hospital here. But you know what? After two days, they transferred him to Twin Falls. And guess what? We went in there 
and fewer than half the beds were occupied. So it is one giant lie from start to finish, Robin. These tests are a lie. PCR tests are not capable of determining whether you are infected or not. I'm sorry if that's upsetting to people, but that is a fact. Even Fauci has admitted that. CDC, others have admitted this. They just then go on television and say the opposite, trusting that your viewers won't actually go and do their own homework. But anyway, when they when he went to Twin Falls, they put a yellow star on his door to denote that he was unvaccinated. So, you know, look, he's a disease spreader, he's scary, be on guard, don't go in, whatever. I mean, it's it's pure bullying and intimidation. And then they refused all sorts of treatments that we demanded. And he died about a week later. So it literally sorry. was one of the hardest things I've ever been through in my whole life. I'm going to tear up. It was just outrageous because I was doing everything and anything that I could to try and save this dear beloved man. And they, every single thing we did, and my husband had power of attorney, they just brick wall. They wouldn't respond. They told us they went from letting have letting us have people in there one at a time to telling us we could have one a day visiting him to telling us we could call once a day because we were pushing back. They, I mean, it is, it is appalling. They should be sued. And if I had the energy, I would. I'm sure you know Brian Artis's story. I do. Same yeah. thing. Father-in-law fighting. I think they dragged him out of the hospital, screaming at them because they were murdering his father-in-law. And like you, all six of our stories, the reason they end up on a show like ours is that the family members were awake. The patient was awake. The patient was saying no to yeah. vent to remdesivir you know, once they've got you sedated, once they have you isolated from your family, um, there's, there's not a lot you can do. And and these families are just like, they've been like fighting like hell. Yeah. Um, I, yeah, I, I talked to, I talked to some of, you know, big name doctors in the fight. I don't want to name drop, but who are, you know, I'm in contact with, and they were like, just get him out, just get him out. The problem was as a dialysis patient, we couldn't, and he'd had an infection in his port the week before, which is why he had to go to the dialysis center. He couldn't do it at home because of this infection. And so we were caught in this, we were caught, we were trapped. Well, and it's it's worse than that. Like you wanted to get him out. So that's what all these families like come to the conclusion, get him out. They're going to murder him. Like he's going to die there if we don't get him out. And then they do, like you, you were, he was vulnerable because of dialysis. But also Jeff Childers here in Florida, I'm sure you know who he is too. Uh, he has told me that he has seen inside counsel spend tens of thousands of dollars to keep one patient. Yeah. Why do you think that is? You tell me. I mean, <laughs> I think it's pretty clear it's an agenda. They want the numbers high. They want to blame it on COVID. They want, you know, this idea that our health agencies and that medical journals and hospitals are there to protect us is something that we have to get over. It's it's not accurate. And I know that's really hard to swallow, believe, comprehend. That's really uncomfortable. But I have come to that conclusion after more than 20 years of research. We have to understand that they are all bought and controlled by a cartel and that we live under, it's not the military industrial complex, it's the medical complex that truly dominates our world. And the last two years are crystal clear evidence of that, in my view. And I can go, I mean, 
I can unpack a lot of that for you if you'd like, but I mean, the, the money involved, the strings involved, the web, it is vast, it is global, it is deep, it is so insidious. Yeah, I think I'm. you're one of these people who interviews yourself and someone like me is best to get out of your way and say, hey, what's on your mind? So that's what I'm going to do next. But first, I just want to mention for anybody who, I don't want to condescend to anyone because I know it's super common that people know what the yellow star is. But I just want to mention, if you didn't know, the yellow star was what Hitler forced the Jews to wear to identify themselves so that they could be identified to be cut out of society and murdered. Yeah. So the the symbolism, that's if if you're not understanding why we're so outraged by that, that's it. Um, yeah. And also, so can so, I just say, there's yeah. another piece of this, Robin, too, which is so important, is that the Jews were labeled disease spreaders, vermin, a threat to society, right? Do you see the parallels between then and now? And I'm do, sorry. Do you find it bizarre that Israel leads the pack in vaccination and they're, they were on their fourth when we weren't even on our third yet, et cetera, et cetera? Yeah, it's very interesting, isn't it? It's very interesting. Um, you know, I, um, I have a, my own show, Conversations on Health Freedom, and I had Naomi Wolf on it. And we had a long conversation. And she's like, you know, listen, we're in 1938. That's where we are right now. And this was a few months ago. And um, I, th- I think I've, I've got to believe that on some level, it's partly because no one, most of us are not evil, right? The vast majority of human beings are good, kind, honest, decent people. And we can't conceive that some, some members of the global population could be that deceitful, that literally wicked, that they could do this to people, that... Um, depraved that they would literally reduce themselves to murdering people in order to cling to power. And that's my contention that the reason this is all happening is because they need, they want to cling to power and they need um, a series of emergencies in order to do so. And I can unpack that for you in a minute. But when you go back to what the Jews endured, I'm an Armenian, okay? First genocide of the 20th century. It's Manukian, it's Armenian. My grandfather and my great aunt fled Armenia at age 13 and 15. My grandfather was 13 years old, fled in order to get out. They were either going to lose all of their property to the Russians or be slaughtered by the Turks. And so they fled in order to create a new opportunity for our family. And they came through Ellis Island and came to the United States. And the reason I'm sharing it is because these people, once you've been persecuted you carry that on some level, right? On a cellular level. I mean, you know, we're all eggs in our mom's <laughs> bodies when they're once they're when they're born and when, during gestation. And so we carry that like on a cellular memory level, right? And so I think that there's a certain piece of the Jews not being able to stand up because they've already been through it once. And so they're sort of, and you know, there was so they're many traumatized. They're, they're traumatized. They're traumatized through the generations. Yes, and Robin, so many leaders in the Jewish community actually told them in Germany, no, 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 don't worry, keep your head down. It's just a yellow star of David. It's just an armband that you have to wear. It's just a little bit. It's going to get better. And so they didn't flee. They didn't flee when they could have in the 30s. And then 
They were take their guns were taken, their ability to vote was taken, their ability to own businesses was taken. They were shunted into, um, you know, into ghettos and all these things. They were basically deprived of all humanity and all rights, so that by the end, there was nothing that could be done for them. And of course, many other people, anybody who spoke out, ultimately was taken away. Um, their rights were taken away. They were ostracized. They were shunned. They were uh, disenfranchised. And that's essentially what is being attempted now. And you hear it in the rhetoric from Justin Trudeau, Joe Biden, um, you know, people all across the world. It is, it, it's a, they're singing from the same hymn book, right? They're saying the same things, disease spreaders, you know, um, a danger to society, selfish, all of these things. It's all the same um, track playing over again just 75 years later. Yeah, it's been astonishing to me how many friends I have who have advanced degrees, PhDs, should have had history classes and are still to this day, April 2022, head down on the, the government will save me and you vermin who are unwashed. I, I have a, I, my oldest friend in the world is Jewish and she's the one that we just caught to for two years. Jewish with an MBA, number one in her class and she can't see any of it. And she, and I'm like, only reason I talk to you about this isn't that I have to be right. It's that you have a choice about whether you're going to line your three children up for another injection. That's all the reason I'm talking to you about this mm-hmm. is that, you know, at the point that you wake up, you are going to realize what you're doing to your children that you've given the last 20 something years of your life to raising. And I'm trying to shake you awake. I'm trying to wait. I'm trying to get you. How can you be Jewish and not see this? Yeah. And unfortunately, most of them are because there's, you know, most Jews are ideologically to the left. Yeah. And so they're much more likely to defer. It's amazing to me, but they do. I mean, is Sun Valley that way? I, I actually <sighs> left Park City, Utah, and it's the analog of Sun Valley. You know, there's like Jackson Hole, which is so not Wyoming because it's a tourist town and like all the leftists are there. And then you got Sun Valley in Idaho, which I assume is the same way. And Park City, like I've been making jokes lately about how it's like if you took the Bay Area and shrunk it down and put it in Park, if you put it in Utah, like this super, and it didn't matter until February 1st, 2020, and we couldn't get out of there fast enough. Yeah. Even though we loved our friends there, we loved our lifestyle there, eight minutes from the biggest ski resort in the country. Um, loved it, loved, loved, loved it. But it's like we were surrounded, we we're instantly surrounded by zombies. Is that what it's like for you? A hundred percent. And and I'm and I'm a pariah now. I mean, first of all, we've lived here since 1976. So I've and I grew up here. Okay. My dad it was a little town before it was, it was totally taken over by it tourism. It was the coolest little town, 1800 people and maybe a couple thousand in the whole valley. Now it's 25,000. And yeah, it's, it's woke as all get out. But I will say that we are getting a huge influx of um, COVID measure refugees. And so I think that it's Californians. The, the, yeah. But Californians, Washingtonians, New Yorkers, people who are just like, this is mad, right? This is craziness. And so they're fleeing. And, um, and so I think that the balance is shifting a bit. But I'll tell you, there's a one of the towns, Sun Valley, what's next door is a town called Ketchum. It's our main town where the grocery stores and restaurants are. The resort is up in Sun Valley. And there's a baseball cap that I've seen that says, welcome to Ketchum. Idaho is next door. <laughs> I think so it's, true. it's yeah. I think it's changing. Anyway, I had to tell you something else about the whole yellow thing. So, 
my nonprofit, Health Freedom Defense Fund, um, we educate about our freedoms. We um, advocate on behalf of them, and we also litigate when necessary. And so we filed over a dozen lawsuits in the last year. And um, as, a, as a result of that, we've had thousands and thousands of people emailing us. And I cannot tell you how many people emailed us telling us that I work for this hospital system in Hawaii or this hospital system in California or whatever, and I'm being forced to put a yellow star on my name badge. Yes. I hadn't heard that except for <clears> you. <throat> on my name badge. And we have to eat in a separate facility. We can't, you know, we are segregated, but a yellow star, yellow sticker star on their name badges in order to differentiate, you know, identify them from the rest. It's not, you know, it's not just hospitals. It's, it's a lot of these, there are businesses that are doing this. It's crazy. I think it's gotten a little bit, it's not as insane as it was a year ago, but it's still bad. And what people need to understand is that I think if there's one message that I have for all of your audience, it is that COVID may be ending. The agenda is not. Do not take your eye off the ball because the agenda is still at play and they are trying to introduce it um, while people are distracted by all sorts of other crises. Yeah, very well put in terms of the big picture and what's really going on here. Um, I, I think people think I'm probably obsessed and maybe I think I am obsessed because I don't feel like I have any real choice in, I got to figure out what's going on because no one's telling us what's going on, right? They're telling us lies that aren't what's going on. And so I don't feel like I have a choice when I brought four kids into this mess and when I run a business and have to steer the ship into the darkness, right? So that's why I'm so obsessed with it, you guys, is that we have to figure this out and we can't stand up to it until we know what it is. Um, how many, do you have attorneys then? Because I literally just today interviewed Matt Staver, who is Liberty Council, and we're fundraising for him on this six city tour we're about to do in Florida um, that I'm putting on and like McCullough and Malone and Carrie Madey and Ryan Cole from your neck of the woods and um, Jeff Childers and a whole bunch of others are coming in to, uh, you know, like Florida is kind of like the last stand, like the last, the last place where there's an actual real leader who's standing out there saying no, no mm -hmm. to all of it. Although he did, he did sign the, do you know, I bet you know this, the legislature passed it and he signed it and all of us are stunned that you can't sue the healthcare workers or the hospitals for the, the, the Fauci death protocol. Wow. I, I had not heard that he had signed it. I remember when that was first discussed and I thought it'll be very telling to know what he does on this. I mean, it's definitely the topic between me and everybody else here in the fight in Florida is, well, why did he do that? Because then he has like some declaration or something that you can also have other protocols. So he's aware. And his his representative said, we've never gotten so much email about any topic in the history of the DeSantis. Uh, and he word, still you know? signed it. Yeah. Administration. But he still signed it. And so all I can figure is that there must have been such massive pressure on him from a bunch of different directions, probably from, you know, basically the whole healthcare system, like, like, hey, protect us from lawsuits so that we can continue murdering people and not drown in legal warfare. I don't know. I don't know. But 
So have you, have you won any lawsuits or have you had any big wins that we can be excited about? <clears throat> well, we have, first of all, we've got three lawsuits actually filed in federal court in Florida. Um, one of them is the travel mask mandate. It was the first lawsuit filed against the CDC for its mask mandate on transportation in all kind of you know conveyances. And that case we are very excited about and very optimistic will win. We got a very, very good judge in the middle district in Tampa. And um, we think that the lawsuit is that the our complaint is essentially locked tight. It'll be very, very hard for that to be denied. That could be decided anytime. So um, we're super excited about that. With respect to others, we had in Los Angeles, um, we sued the Los Angeles Unified School District last year over their mandate of the EUA vaccine. And they we won. They backed down. They changed their policy. They started speaking to the press saying, you know, we can't mandate EUA vaccines. And so the judge dismissed the case, but the judge dismissed the case because LAUSD rescinded their policy. So we won on that. Then they turned around a few weeks later <clears throat> and they implemented the vaccine mandate again once the um, FDA approved Pfizer's jab, which I'm sure your viewers know they didn't really approve, right? They approved something that's not available. Uh, uh, it's a trade name, the the Comirnaty. It's not available in the United States. Yep. So um, they they did it under the cover of that FDA approval, right? And so we filed suit again, and we actually are in discovery. So we they didn't even try to get the case dismissed, which is what any attorney tries to do. But they basically, um, and the reason for that is because they couldn't. They knew that we would survive any motion to dismiss. So they let it go, and we're now in discovery. And that's really important because um, it's the first lawsuit that I know of that's gotten to discovery on these issues. And Fauci flew to Los Angeles and met with the teachers union the night before the Los Angeles Unified School District locked down, and it was the first school district to shut down. Isn't that convenient? And what a coincidence. So we cannot wait to see all of their communications and basically take a peek behind the curtain. So that's in um, discovery. We have also filed suit, and that's on behalf of any teachers and staff who work in the Los Angeles Unified School District, which is, you know, it's, a, it's the second largest school district in the United States, behind only New York. Um, we've also sued the city of San Francisco and city county of San Francisco. And we are, I'm not sure if we're in discovery yet, but it's very close. So that's very good too. And um, there's some very, very, that's in state court, not in federal court. We've employed a, a multi-pronged strategy. So in some cases, like in our LAUSD case, we're really attacking the science that these shots do not confer immunity, that they do not prevent trans transmission or infection, um, that natural immunity is real, that you know we go on and on, that the PCR tests are not valid because they're not. <laughs> and um, so we're really attacking there. Whereas in San Francisco, it's more of a statutory argument. There are some very, very um, strong statutory claims against mandating any kind of a metal, medical product in the state of California. So we're pursuing that there. And then I said that we have three lawsuits against. So we won on the LAUSD and stopped it for about six months. And then they went forward, as did everybody. Um, 
We just lost, unfortunately, it makes my, breaks my heart, but I really want to raise the money to pursue this. We lost, we sued the Blaine County School District and the city of Haley against their mask mandates. And the judge, I mean, I can't even believe this judge. I think these judges are actually demonstrating very, very clearly and effectively to the public that they are not intelligent, that they are not informed, that they're not unbiased, and that they're not principled, and that our judicial system is not something that we should all be cheering and applauding because, frankly, this judge ruled that breathing was not a fundamental right. That's what he ruled. He ruled that we did not have standing in our lawsuit because the ordinance didn't force people to wear a mandate, wear wear a mask. Well, if a law isn't forced, what in the world is it? So, I mean, these kinds of arguments, anyway, we are now, we want to appeal, but I need to raise the money to do it because it costs a lot of money. So yeah, it does um, cost a lot of money and it, that has to be appealed because that's just exposing the either corruption or stupidity of the people that have been appointed to the bench or some of them I know answer to like, they have to be reelected. And those are the ones where we kind of have a little more confidence in them. These, these federal judge, I think federal judges in state court, right? No, federal judges are in, in the federal districts. State judges in state courts. Yes. State judges are oftentimes in California, they're elected. Um, I think in most states, I don't know for sure, but I think in most states they're elected, whereas federal judges are are appointed. And that is a huge problem. And so, yes, it has to be appealed. And we think we've really got a really good shot. Um, we're gonna, we want to take it to the Supreme Court, but we need to raise the money to do it. And so um, if anybody wants to support this, go to healthfreedomdefense.org because if they can force you to put a mask on your face to cover your avatar in public, right? It is who we are. And if they can cover, force you to cover your two and only airways, we're cattle. We're nothing more. There is no statutory authority for anybody to force you to wear a medical device. And that is what it is. It is forced medicine. If we did not learn from the Nuremberg trials and the Nuremberg Code that it is unethical to force medicine, I don't know what we learned. Clearly, we have regressed. So we really want to pursue this, and we just need to raise the money for it. It's something I think is so important, and I want to take it to the Supreme Court. So that's something that's going on. And then we've got two cases um, against, so the federal travel mask mandate, we're very optimistic about that one. And then there is the um, federal challenge to the Biden mandate on um, contract federal contractors and subcontractors. And that case has been stayed pending review in a district, in a um, circuit. So basically you have trial courts in the states. And then if you appeal, it goes to a circuit. Okay. And so Florida is in the 11th circuit. Idaho's in the ninth circuit. There, there are 13 circuits, if I remember correctly, federal circuits. And After you go to the federal circuit, if you don't get the judgment that you want, then you can appeal to the Supreme Court. What's happening is that the trial courts that are lower, so the court in Tampa that we're in with these um, uh, over 30,000 employees of airlines and travel industry that's been stayed, we're waiting for the judge at the circuit level in the 11th circuit to rule on another similar case And if that goes in our way, then we will ask our judge to rule on the basis of that superior court ruling. Does that make sense? 
So there's trial and then appellate above it. And the appellate judge in that same district or in that same circuit is binding on the lower court. So it's in, it's been stayed pending that decision, which we hope will come fairly soon. And then we have another case on behalf of federal employees, over 6,000 federal employees. And that case has just been stayed as well because there's another one that was filed after us, but they asked for a preliminary injunction and it was granted in a in the Fifth Circuit. And so if that rules in our in our favor, then we'll again go to our judge and say, listen, this is, we're very optimistic on that as well. You know, there've been so many decisions in the last couple of months um, smacking down all of the mandates. In fact, there's only one that's really survived and that is the federal mandate for hospitals and um, uh, medical systems that take Medicare and Medicaid money. And that actually, frankly, was unbelievably disappointing because you had Sotomayor and um, Breyer basically literally spouting the talking points of mainstream media that are absolutely demonstrably untrue. And even worse than that, Robin, I know one of my attorneys actually submitted with another attorney an amicus brief. It's called a friend of the court. So it's a brief educating the judges about other aspects they might not be considering and why they should rule in a certain way. And they basically proved through their amicus briefs with all the science that the shots are not capable of preventing infection or transmission. And yet they both said we need healthcare workers to um, be vaccinated so that they protect the people who are coming. And this is reasonable. They it's literally didn't read it. They didn't read it. It's because they can't give up ground. They already had that ground. And, you know, my, my story is that as I was a young psychologist working in a psychiatric hospital, I was required to get a flu vaccine and spent four years in bed consequently. And I wonder before we kind of let you run with whatever topic you, since since your Reiner Fulmick interview, which we'll put down below, is it day five you were on? I can't remember. We'll I think find so. Out. I think that, I think you're right. We'll find out because we won't be able to get to all the things he did. But if you guys want more Leslie Manukian, you should look in the show notes below. We'll also put your foundation to donate because they're winning lawsuits. They know what they're doing. A lot of people are throwing their money away right now. There, I've seen some lawsuits. I've raised money for, the first lawsuit I raised money for, it was Big mistake. I wish I'd read it. Now I know. I, I read it and I was like, oh my gosh, this is a terrible idea. It had all these Book of Mormon scriptures in it for um, legal references. And I was like, this is never going to fly. And it just got retracted before. And anyways, but I didn't know that. I didn't read it. I just trusted it. But I and I don't know why, because I know that there's lots of, there's good, there's the, there's the lawyers that graduated bottom 10% of their class, right? And they're out there and probably some of them care about medical freedom and that's not who we want to be hiring. We want, we want good legal strategy. And so you're winning some of these. And I think it's going to be um, case law, case law, brick at a time, building a wall. I don't know about this one. I won't even name it. That's just taking a run at the front door. Um, honestly, I think they should just retract that lawsuit. But yeah. see, and um, there's a real risk. So here's the thing. Federal court, like you don't go to a ear, nose and throat specialist for heart surgery, do you? Right. Right. I mean, I wouldn't go to a doctor for eczema because they can't do anything but give you a drug or steroid or something that suppresses it. I would go to someone holistic. I'd go to a homeopath because they can actually eradicate it. Um, My point is that our attorneys, all the attorneys that we work with, 
our our very experienced constitutional attorneys who have made careers out of two very senior people, one who's in his 70s and one who's in his 60s, who are experienced international commercial litigators. They have taken, made a career out of fighting the federal government and government intrusion into our lives, and they've won on many, many different occasions. Um, they've fought some of the biggest corporations and won. They, you know, so you really need some, you need attorneys who understand the playbook of the giant corporate law firms who have 1,500 attorneys. The firms that we're working with don't have that many attorneys, but they know the playbook and they've won against them. And you need that. And that's not to say that there aren't tons and tons of well-meaning, really good, you know, kind-hearted and well-intentioned attorneys, but that is out there working on our behalf. But that doesn't mean that they know what they're doing. And that's the real, it's a real challenge, you know? Yeah. And the lawsuit I'm referring to, it's not that I think that the people involved are bad bad in any way or not well-intentioned, but the lawyer who filed that take a run at the front door approach had just had just passed the bar right before filing that lawsuit. And so I love that you have really experienced attorneys. Were they doing vaccine stuff before COVID? No, I introduced it to them and have taught them. You know, I mean, I've been researching vaccine stuff for over 20 years, having made my movie, The Greater Good, and um, and so brought them up to speed. And they were outraged at what they learned because they had no idea that the vaccine court existed, that the pharmaceutical industry has no liability for their shots, that you can't sue anybody, that there's this fake court, all these things. They didn't know any of this. And so, but there are people who are very principled and they're very libertarian and they care about freedom. And they're, you know, most, a lot of lawyers are not in that camp, but they are. So um, I think they're a godsend. <laughs> Yeah, it sounds like they're they were refined. I mean, people who are in their 70s or 60s and are still willing to to stay in the game. I mean, what I'm what I'm really nervous about is all the senior career level people who are leaving their field and are the brain trust of all kinds of industries that we desperately need, especially the attorneys and the healthcare workers, but they're just battered. Like the ones who stand up for medical freedom are so battered and bruised and broken and they're all trying to become influencers and that's why that's why I was frustrated. Like I loved the grand jury because he kept it to 20 minutes. All of you guys had well-prepared, you know, slideshows, you know, there wasn't like two hours of riffing on extraneous subjects. It was such a good presentation and it, and it was so like international, so many doctors, lawyers, MBAs like yourself from all over the world. But I was like, Reiner Fulmick, you too? You're doing you're doing an influencer content. You know what the world doesn't need more of is influencers, and I am one. So, anyway, um, I want. But the ask thing you is, before- for that, let me just two things. Number one is that it's actually dangerous to have bad lawsuits because they can set right. bad precedent. Right. So we really right. don't want that. Number one. Number two. Um, the whole point of the grand jury was to make the case. I think some of the people went on too long, frankly, some of the early ones, and they realized they had to really rein it in. But the whole point of this was to actually present all the information to the court of public opinion so that people can decide for themselves what to believe. And, is, and is, so, do, they, do I, they think it'll have serve some purpose later in actual court of law or uh, no? Well, much of the testimony and the documentation is being incorporated into different lawsuits. So I think it will be. The other issue is that, you know, people have to understand that, um, you know, the International Criminal Court, the United States isn't a member of that. And the reason that we're not a member of that is because we don't want our soldiers 
to be held to the same standard. So when they commit atrocities in, in Iraq, they're not held liable, right? Mm-hmm. Because there's no international criminal court prosecution of Americans because we don't um, we don't belong. And, um, and so we try and avoid all these things. I mean, it's crazy, but this is the case. And so, and the other thing is every single country has its own judicial system and you have to file lawsuits within the confines of those judicial systems. And let me tell you, the judicial systems are not generally organized in the average person's favor. But I'll tell you, they just had some big wins in India this past week, fantastic wins from one of our colleagues and someone who was part of the grand jury. Yeah, so that's huge. They struck down some of the um, mandates and measures, and um, it's been a really, really big win for us. So that's very exciting. I mean, so, there are courts in India that have banned uh, banned Bill Gates from, you know, like if he sets foot on on Indian soil, he he could be arrested. He's a uh, so there's yeah there's some good stuff that ha- has happened in India that we could take a page from. A lot of the same things, like news media articles would only do a story on one individual vaccine injury death, but never there's never any media coverage of aggregated deaths. Nothing never. ever. Not here, not in India, not anywhere. But but you know, India's got good judges, and it's got. But I think that Reiner Fulmer came to the conclusion that it's pointless in Europe because they're all appointed, and they even get like bonused based on whether they serve the overlords. And so he was just like he just kind of rode off Europe. But he was like, here, here, those like we're talking about the state judges. There's there's inroads we can make. But I hope. And there are so good I, federal judges too, but I, I will say that there was a big win in Portugal, a win in Germany, a win in Austria, and there was another one. I can't remember where the fourth one was. All determining that the PCR test is not capable of deciding, determining whether or not you're in, you're infected. Okay. okay. So those that that's big, but you know what ended up happening in Germany? <laughs> the judge was harassed and attacked and raided. And the scientists and the advocates were too. So, you know, there's, listen, you know that when there's that kind of threat and intimidation that you're over the target. Yeah. um, Matt Matt Staver told me a story today when I interviewed him about Colonel Teresa Long, Colonel MD Teresa Long in the military, literally being told by her superior and and, and she couldn't, she was like, well, where's that coming from? Not to talk about the vaccine injury and death, ordered to go to court and not answer the questions and not tell what she knows about all these military people dying. More people died in 2021 in the military of the shot than died of COVID in two years. Yeah, of course. And she she was ordered not to, and she the judge actually was like, or um, no, it was Matt Staver cross-examining her and pressing her, and she had like she could literally start crying because of the pressure from her superiors threatening her to break the law, telling her to break the law and go in and lie or withhold information in a, in a federal court. Yeah. So, I mean, the lawlessness is so rampant. Um, really quick before whatever last topic you want to cover in any kind of detail that's really on your mind that you really want people to know about from your slides, can I just ask you, what was your, I told you mine, four years in bed as a young mom because a hospital I worked at made me get the flu shot. And that's the ground. They don't want to give it up because they've been making people get injections for decades. They don't want to give up that ground because they already owned it. 
Um, what was your awakening? How did you get so deep in this? You were obviously way, way awake before the COVID thing. Mm-hmm. What, what happened? Are you a wounded healer like the rest of us? Yes, absolutely. But I didn't realize what was wrong with me. So when I was 28, I graduated from business school and I had my big, big, you know, prestigious job um, starting in New York City at Goldman Sachs on August 3rd, 1992. And um, I was so excited. And all my friends and I decided we'd all go to Southeast Asia for two months before we went to go to our big jobs in New York City. And before we all left, one of my friends was like, don't forget to go and get your vaccines. And I was like, oh, oh gosh, yeah, I would have never remembered or thought to do that. So I went to the University of Chicago Medical Center and I said, you know, I need to get my vaccines. I'm going to Southeast Asia. And the person said, well, what would you like? The nurse. And I said, I don't know. What do you want to give me? And she gave me every childhood vaccine and every tropical vaccine, typhoid and cholera and hepatitis A and B and da 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 on and on and on. And, um, and I've never been the same. So it's been a 30-year journey, but I never connected the dots until I was making my movie about what had happened to me. The really pivotal moment for me was when, you know, my job at, um, I worked at Goldman for a little over four years, and then I quit. And I went to go and work for one of my clients, Alliance Capital, which was a big, big asset management firm at the time. Um, now it's dwarfed by BlackRock and Vanguard and those these, you know, behemoths, but that's the way it was then. Anyway, um, my job was running the European growth portfolio management business and the European uh, growth research department. And so I interviewed the CEOs of multinational corporations to decide which European stocks we should buy. And one of the CEOs of one of the biggest pharmaceutical companies in the world came into our offices to reassure us because we owned about a billion dollars of their stock. And their stock was getting crushed because their new drug, which was in phase three trials, was killing people. Rumors were leaking out that some people had died. So the CEO, the CFO, the head of R&D, the head of investor relations all came in to our offices to reassure us. And it was me and another portfolio manager or two and our trader and and our pharmaceutical analyst. And then the conference call, this is in London, our conference call to um, uh, our New York office with all the people on over there. And he sits down and he looks me in the eye and he says, listen, okay, a few people have died. It's very, very rare, but a few people have died on the phase three trials. And the bad news is that the FDA is going to make us put a black box warning on our packaging. The good news is we still think we'll be able to do 7 billion in peak sales. Yeah, it's I remember you that that struck me like lightning when you you told that story on your um presentation with Reiner Fulmick and those are those are those galvanizing moments when you realize this world is some of the people in this world are so dark and and they will they're willing to do anything including murder and murder people and make their lives miserable like mine was for four years in bed, feeling like the worst mom ever, couldn't function, didn't didn't really understand why yet. I kept I was injuring my son while I was uh they they there are people who are so misguided. I won't even say that they're evil or don't have a soul. I would I would say they're so misguided that money is their God. It's their golden calf or something. Yeah. I think it might even be worse. I think they're pure evil. 
Robin. I really, truly do. And I'll tell you, when I made the movie, we haven't even gotten into all the finance. And I really, can we just take five minutes for that at the end? Let me just Please say, do. I now got I know into your the story and I just couldn't rest until I knew what your story was because there's always a story. But yeah. take it away. So wait, let me just finish this last thing on this. What really solidified for me the whole problem that we face as good people, as decent people, was going and interviewing people at the CDC, the FDA, vaccine developers. I interviewed Paul Offit, Stanley Plotkin, Neil Halsey, Warren Ornstein, Walter Ornstein. Um, these are all bigwigs in vaccine development, right? Um, I interviewed Norman Baylor at the FDA, uh, Melinda Wharton at CDC. I'm telling you this because when I went and interviewed these people and I would ask them a slightly pointed question, they would say to me, well, you know, I asked Dr. Melinda Wharton at CDC, why don't you just do the study of vax versus unvax and put all the naysayers, questions and concerns to bed? Why don't you just do it and get it over with? You're so certain, just do it and put them all to bed. Well, if we did, first of all, it'd be very hard to find all those people she tried to tell me. And then she went on about how we eat different broccoli. People who vaccinate their kids eat different broccoli from kids, people who don't vaccinate their kids. I mean, let me tell you, the lie, the, the deception, the attempt to just sort of distract, it was insane. That's, there's only one description for that, and that's evil. And the reason I say it's evil is because I really believe that when we made the movie, if we just exposed that there were problems, legitimate questions, genuine science into the dangers of these shots that needed to be answered, that the people in power would do the right thing. They would do something. I was so naive. I truly believed if we just shared in an in a unsensational way the truth, that those people would actually do something. And what happened? The exact opposite. It was met with silence. When we would ask questions or they would just, you know, we're studying that or we'll come back to that. I mean, it, there's only one explanation. That's not just money. That can't just be money. And it's not just money when we are told that fluoride is good for us and it's actually poison. When we're told that mercury amalgams are safe when it's poison. When we're told that GMOs are safe when they're poison. That Roundup is safe when it's poison. These are not all an accident or a mistake. It is because there are people out there who realize that a sick populace is a defenseless populace, a controllable populace. A sick populace is weak. It's, it's easy to govern. That's what they want, in my view. And you can call me crazy or conspiracy theory, but tell me what the other explanation is, because it can't be just about money. There would be good people in some places who would do the right thing, and they don't. Why not? So let's go to the last thing, because I think this is really important, unless you want to say something on that. No, I just wanted to say, actually, people can, I don't, nobody's calling us conspiracy theorists anymore. There's too, too much out there, but they may also want a whole lot of us dead. They may, may want a big swath of us dead, but what's crazy is that it's going to be the people they could control that are going to die, not us. We're going to bob and weave, and they're going to be stuck with all of us anti-vaxxers. But anyways, carry yes. on. It's evil. So to me, the whole reason that this is really happening, that all of this is happening in the last two years, is about 
is to conceal government failure. And that's what's on the slide. Can people see the slide now or no? Okay. I can. Okay. So, and why do I say that? It's because for the, ever since the financial crisis of 08, 09, the writing has been on the wall and the governments of the West have known that their days are numbered. And the reason for that is, is because they lowered interest rates in order to stimulate the economy. And you know what? It didn't work. It didn't work. In Europe, they lowered interest rates to negative, meaning if you have hundred grand and you put it in the bank, you have to pay to hold it there. Okay. That destroys your bond market because people invest in bonds to get a return on their bond, a yield. They don't invest because they want to have to pay something for it, right? It's different from a stock, okay? And um, by having negative interest rates in Europe and zero or close to zero interest rates in the United States, in Europe, they destroyed their bond market, but they also destroyed their pension market. And the United States destroyed their pension market as well. Pensions are required by law in most places to own government bonds. So if government bonds are yielding negative or half a percent or a quarter of a percent, there is no way for a pension fund to manage because pensions invest and they need a seven or 8% yield on the one hand in order to be able to pay, service their liabilities, the pension, the people who are drawing on their pensions, they have to be able to pay them. So they need to earn more off of their investments than they pay out to their pensioners. That is totally impossible when they're earning zero on their investments for eight years. They implemented negative interest rates in 2014 in Europe. So they've had negative interest rates. I think it's back to zero now. For eight years, they have destroyed their pension market. And the pensions, like I say, are bound to invest in government bonds. And so if people people are like, "Uh uh-oh, lots of financial world, MBA gobbledygook there, What she's saying is, I think, that Europe is headed for complete bankruptcy and all the pensioners, the people who retired, and think that they're going to get these checks for a long time are in jeopardy of having nothing for the rest of their life, right? It's not in jeopardy. It's done, in my view. The whole point is that the pensions are broke. If you include the United Kingdom in Europe, 60 almost the number is 57 or 58 it's almost 60 trillion dollars of unfunded pension liabilities in Europe they will never be able to pay those they cannot the, the european central bank can't finance itself anymore you know how the us treasury issues bonds right they issue government treasuries 30 years and 10 years and 2010 521 and then short term money like they call them um bills they could be two months, three months, something like that, right? Six months, one year. They issue that in order to keep the lights on in the government, right? They have to issue new because whenever bonds expire, they have to issue new bonds in order to continue to finance themselves. In Europe, they can't do that anymore because the European Central Bank owns almost half of all outstanding euro-denominated debt, euro government debt. There is no incremental buyer anymore because Buyers want yield. They don't want zero. Bond buyers, right? So the government can't raise, can't um, issue any more debt to finance itself. And they also can't raise rates to incentivize people to come in because they own now almost half the debt. And what happens when you raise interest rates? The value of your debt goes down. There's an inverse relationship between yields and your asset value. And so there, the, the um, balance sheet, meaning their 
their um, spreadsheet of how much value they have will go down when they raise rates, right? They are, they are screwed. They are in a corner. They've painted themselves into a corner they can't get out of. And on top of that, their pensions are broke. And in the United States, everybody I'm sure knows that we now have $30 trillion of debt, of national debt. And in 2018, before this whole episode happened, we had $5 trillion of unfunded public pensions in the United States. So exactly what you said, what happens when all of these people wake up and realize that their pension is gone? If history serves as any teacher or any guide, we know that those leaders who've done this are going to be drag out, drug out into the streets by their hair, right? It's not gonna be a pretty picture. They're gonna storm the castle. That's what's going to happen. Let me just show you something. Yeah, I don't think anybody's going to storm the castle. I don't think anybody's going to storm the castle. We have laid down for so much stuff and it's not getting better. People are getting tired. So I hope Robin, when when hundreds of millions of people wake up and realize, and this is the whole, so this is my whole point is before that happens though, what do they need to put in place? They need a digital control grid in place in order to ensure that the people can't fight back. Okay. So and and what does saying, that take the form of? So you're saying that the vaccine passport, or you know, maybe COVID ran out of steam before they could get the COVID pa- before they get the vaccine passport in. So maybe it's the climate change passport or whatever it is, because they've got all, they got a lot of stories going right now. And Putin's Putin's the reason. He's the reason that billions of people are going to starve in the next year. Okay. So you're saying that they need to put us all on the digital passport system so that we can't go storm the castle and they just get control of us by digital means really, really fast before it all comes off the rails. So there, have you heard, seen all the stories about cyber attacks? Yeah, that's okay. what they're planning. That's what the World Economics Forum is planning. Aren't they, aren't they like doing their simulation in July, like this summer? Yeah, so here's the thing. My son goes to an elite university, actually he goes to the University of Chicago, and um, they received an email last week that said, that they need that all the students and all the staff and every all members of the community needed to start shoring up their cybersecurity and being careful to only I mean it's all about the threat of cyber risks okay why because they need to teach the public that you need a digital ID in order to access the internet what what did, what was covid for to teach you to give over your private medical information and to accept a vaccine passport. But that was just the thin end of the wedge, the you know, foot in the door. The true goal is an entire, a comprehensive digital control grid. And so getting people to get a digital control grid in order to access the internet, which will then connect to their vaccine records, their medical records, their bank records, their voter ID, their driver's license, their passports, their travel identification, their employment, their bank, insurance, financial, it's everything. And then there's the other piece of the puzzle, which is UBI. Whoa, a bunch of jets just flew over. Universal basic income. They have been trialing universal basic programs in the United States and Europe for the last four or five years. Why have they been doing they're doing it with the Aboriginal people in Australia right now. Yeah. And why have they been doing this? To de- in my view, it's to destigmatize taking money from the government. Okay. Half of us are on the dole anyway, but uh, yeah, okay. Okay, but that's the point. So that's what they want to do is just make it so that every... And what did they do during the COVID relief? What did that do? There was no stigma attached to taking that money, right? So now 
The last piece of the puzzle, central bank digital currencies. And what did the Biden administration, what did Biden just sign an executive order for a few weeks ago? Investigating digital, a digital currency, digital dollar, and digital assets. Yeah, so, it was so it was so like watery and whatever. And he's also like made super vague like comments about the SEC needs to investigate Bitcoin or crypto or whatever. And he's like, you know, just kind of seemed to seeming like he's just sending a shot across the bow, partly probably to scare people off of investing in Bitcoin because it's like cryptocurrencies that are, you know, DeFi and that are in the free market system solutions that give us a way to participate in an alternative economy while they do their, you know, putting everybody in the control grid uh, is their worst nightmare because it's so hard for them to track. And they don't like Gary Gensler of the SEC. I'm sure you know this. He said, like, I don't have the staff to do anything that they want me to do. Mm -hmm. And so that brings me to, you don't have to answer it now if you want to finish something else, but I want to know from you, what are their weaknesses in the plan that you see taking place? Because you're like a high level thinker, strategic thinker like me, trying to put all the pieces in place so we even know what we're up against. Yeah. What are their weaknesses? How are we going to bring this down? But you yeah. can, that's like. Okay. So <laughs> let me finish on the digital currency thing because yeah. I think it's so important. They always um, couch it in the, it's for the greater good, it's for your benefit. Everything's okay. This is, this is to make digital assets less risky. We need to regulate. And what I want, my one of my messages is that standardization and licensure are about control. They are not about your safety or your well-being. And I don't care if it's in medicine or if it's in digital assets or anywhere else. It is all about amassing power at the top so they can control everybody below them. That's what, um, think about um, carbon trading, right? Remember that was the whole plan? We're going to carbon trading. Well, who's that going to benefit? The giant corporations who can buy the carbon credits and everybody else is screwed. This is what it's always about. It's always about power and control. So they couch it in this kind of flowery language in order to make it sound good. Same thing, you know, 15 days to flatten the curve and, you know, do your part. And it's, it's you know, you're, um, I mean, all of the, all the sweet little phrases, right? Just slogans. It's like they're yes. running things by slogans and people are falling for it. Yes, because they have been brainwashed, frankly. So I go into more detail in this in my grand jury. And then I've done some other things. They're on our website. You can watch some of the financial stuff. There's something I just did with a guy named Richard Benulli talking, really going into deep on the financial stuff. And importantly, drilling down on the medical complex because people need to understand how they are the biggest lobbyist in the United States. They spent, the pharmaceutical and healthcare industry spent $35 billion on advertisements last year, 35 billion globally. Think of how much money that is. It's more than the GDP of some countries. The Gates Foundation spent a billion on um, the media in the first decade of the 20th century. And the federal government gave a billion dollars to the media in the last year or two to get them to um, report on issues the way that they wanted. I just want people to understand 40,000 people are injured by our hospitals every day in America. And the estimates are that between 250 to 440,000 are killed by our hospital systems, by medical treatment in America every year, by medical errors. Before COVID. Before COVID. So if you think 
that they're really concerned about your well-being. I've got some, you know, oceanfront property for sale on Mars, right? I mean, it's yeah, insane. Yeah, take a look at their track record. If they're so you. concerned about people's health and well-being, why aren't they stopping that? And the journals, they take money from the pharmaceutical industry. The editors take money. They are literally, it's its just like the whole thing. The hospitals. The problem with people is that people transact with people. And so like my brother, who is a super high level attorney and lives here in Florida and works from home and has and is healthy and not overweight and younger than me and has has no reason to get the job, he asked his doctor and his doctor said, well, the clinical trials look really great. And I said, are you seriously saying this to me after I've had six conversations and he got the jabs and he ended up passing out at the gym and spending a day in bed with the chattering teeth and had a palsy. My little brother had a palsy when I was with him having dinner. And I, I burst into tears when he told me he got the jabs. And I was like, first, you know, partly I was so mad because I was like, you should have told me before I hugged you. You're like, don't you believe me too? It's so frustrating, right? Yeah. I feel like for 20 years, I've been like chicken little. The sky is falling. The sky is falling, except that the sky really truly is falling, right? And people don't- Your father-in-law believed you, I guess. Your father-in-law didn't get the jobs. Is that a lot of your work over the years? And you just, you had credibility with him? Yes. And and more, but yes, for sure. You know, my brother is like- My entire extended family on both sides, only two people out of- Everybody on my side and everybody on my husband's side, only two out of dozens and dozens of people have gotten it. Really? Yeah. My family mostly has not gotten it. Um, yeah. big, big giant Mormon family. Most of my family has not gotten it. My brother is kind of an outlier. In my husband's family, which is a lot of healthcare workers, uh, almost all of them got it. Yeah. So, yeah. Anyway, so coming back to your question, Robin, I think it's so important. I My motto these days is, globalism is the problem and localism is the solution. And so I think I might've mentioned earlier that one of the things I'm doing in Idaho is working with a bunch of different groups to try and create an integrated health system here, a true health system, not a sick care system outside of, and we're doing it inside of trusts and a private membership association. Okay. So that they can't say or do anything to us. Because what? Yeah, and that's people... that's the legal tool of the enemy that the the PMAs are the the legal structure that our enemy so depends on to do a lot of the crap they do, and so they can't really deny us the private membership association. I think that's brilliant, and I and some other leaders of the freedom fight in Utah were having that same idea in 2020. In fact, what's you know what's really funny is that when I we were standing in front of the health department officials' homes protesting in 2020 that oh that got our governor's goat and right after that idahoans were doing the same thing for the same reasons because you know like the elected officials just threw the hot potato over into the health departments when things got too hot for them because we were suing them and whatever so they just throw it over the health departments for a while and they would crush our lives and our freedoms and our children's emotional health and our schools and then they'd throw it back over and the governor would take it over again it looked to me like they were just Tossing it back. I think actually it was a strategic decision. Mm-hmm. How many how many fronts? If you are in a war, do you want to fight on one front or tons of fronts? Lots of fronts. Well, no, you want to fight one, right? Because oh, so you can win. So you can win. If you have to 
protect yourself all around. That's way more challenging oh, than if you have one yeah, friend. Yeah, yeah. Okay. And so if you're the governor and you want to just you want to destroy the health freedom movement and all of us who are pushing back, you delegate all the authority to the individual right. health districts and then they have to sue every individual health district. Right. Well, There's and not- it was always it was always as soon as we had a lawsuit, we we had spent all the money, we got, you know, we get all this momentum, we get the lawsuit filed, and then he's like, oh, it's not it, that belongs to the health department now. Exactly. So, so now you're like, oh, let's all run over here. And like, so they're just That's fragmenting us. They're wearing us down too. Distracting, dividing, absolutely, you know, um, dividing our resources and all these things. But so the point is that I fully believe that we are in a very, I mean, I personally believe that our system is imploding and they're doing it on purpose because they know that their only answer, their only solution is to reset the system. Otherwise, they know that they will lose control and they're going to default on government debt. They have to, but in order to make it palatable to you, they have to say, we're going to let you default on your debt. Your credit card debt will take it away. Your mortgage will take it away. You just give us your assets. Remember, you'll own nothing and be happy. You give us your assets and we'll give you universal basic income. You'll own nothing, but we'll give you handouts. And you'll be happy. And the thing is, and and then what happens is they can cancel all of their debt. Because what's really happened is that government has proven that they have failed. Okay, that they've been they've been profligate with their responsibilities and their financing. They've wasted our money. They've spent it in ways that none of us wanted it to be spent. They've overspent. They have made promises they never intend to keep, and they can't do anything now. And so the only way that they stay in power and keep their control in place is to reset the system with us as serfs, mm-hmm. getting universal basic income and whatever hat scraps they want to give us. That's what's happening. That's why they want the digital control grid. That's why they introduced vaccine passports, just to condition you to accept the rest of it. And so they're clinging... Well- to anything they can to try and save themselves. That's my view. And to circle back to the yellow star, you know, where we started in this conversation, I don't know if people realize how, like Hitler came to power. He was like elected, like the people chose him and it was because they were desperate. They were broken. They had all this debt post-war. They were, you know, like they didn't have food. Their children were starving and Hitler came in and he made promises. And I see that happening here too. They're going to come in with promises when we are on our knees and broken. And many of us did nothing to prepare here. You know, you probably have a garden and a well and all the things. And um, I've spent a lot of the last two years when I'm not fighting the fight, I've been, you know, repositioning myself for exactly what you said, because we're going to have to live locally. So, and the whole globalism is coming down. And maybe, do you feel like, but a lot of people haven't. And those people are going to be on their knees. And those are going to be the people who are like, I don't care if it's Hitler. I don't care who it is. I don't care if the, the universal basic income, which is always less than you need to cover your expenses, like minimal expenses in every one of over 70 countries. Sorry if you guys heard me say this on another interview that I did earlier today. Before COVID, there's a lot of countries that have been falling into communism during the last two years. But the 70 before COVID-ish, 70-ish, that put the people on the government dole, all the people, like none of them give you enough to even cover your expenses. And so you're out doing crazy desperate things to get your needs met and get your children's needs met. And so we have to fight back because they're not, like if anybody thinks that this comes down to, and then they give us our comfortable lifestyle back. And we forgive our debt, right? Wrong. Oh, yeah. They're benevolent dictators, right? That's what they want you to believe. Yeah, Klaus Schwab. Klaus Schwab has all these 
all these vague, pretty words and all the equity and inclusion. Like if I hear equity and inclusion one more time, I'm going to throat punch the next person who uses that as if it's a thing in, in what we're headed into. If there's, as if there's going to be any equity or inclusion. Let me just in tell you, Klaus Schwab's dad was a Nazi. He was a Nazi. Who's dad? Schwab's Klaus dad. Schwab. Yeah. yeah. Gotcha. Bill Gates's father ran was a mm. eugenicist, right? All these people. Trudeau, it's coming out that he's connected to eugenics. I mean, all these, these, this is these people are not good people and they do not have our best interest in heart at heart. They have their power and control and they know that the system is is collapsing and they're going to lose it. So coming back to what what your original question was, people need to plant a garden. You need to prepare to be able to feed yourselves. You need to be, be local, right? Localism is the answer. And so I seriously advocate that people set up their own schools, that they set up their own food co-ops and things like that locally, that you take money out of the bank and have cash. Because when these cyber attacks come, if you don't have cash, you're not going to be able to buy anything. And the stores, I mean, there was a um, problem here recently where the store had some issue and they couldn't take, like with their system, they took cash. They will. And you know what? There will also be an underground economy. Yes. So, you know, I mean, I um, I follow a guy named Martin Armstrong, armstrongeconomics.com. He advocates um, acquiring hard assets, commodities, farmland, cars, um, all sorts of hard assets, precious metals, you know, things like this, because I fully believe that we are in for a very, very challenging time. And you need to have water, a source of water, potentially power, um, all sorts of things. So, yeah, I mean, it's, I think it's going to get really ugly personally. Prepare yeah, yourself. I, I do too. I'm a big fan of, of Bitcoin. That is part of the, I think, the alternate economy. I'm not saying that that's the whole answer, but I, I bought a crazy amount of alcohol. I have no intention of drinking just because, you know, barter. You know, yeah. I was a good, I was a good Mormon and had my food storage for many, many years. And I'm not a good Mormon anymore, but um, I'm a good Christian, and uh, I used to buy cases of cigarettes for barter because they taught us to do stuff like that. And, you know, the LDS church was so good about preparedness, and they kind of let go of it, and their grain silos have been empty. And then we hit COVID when we finally, finally needed LDS people. I'm I'm assuming you know the LDS people because you're in the second most Mormon state, it, even though it's not very LDS in Sun Valley, but it is everywhere else. It is everywhere. In Southern else, Idaho. Yeah. It's very, yeah. Yeah, it's almost, it's you know, almost I totally, I totally get it, Robin. And um, yeah, I mean, I thought they were crazy when I was a kid, right? And now I think they were incredibly smart, although they stopped doing it. So yes, I mean, I think you need to be prepared for a very difficult times. And I think that um um I, I think there's also hope in this though, right? To me, that's the really exciting part of it is that I spent as soon as 2000 happened. I mean, 2020 happened at the very, very beginning. I'm telling you like January 3rd or 4th or something like that. I just said to my husband, okay, it's finally here. It's finally happening. He's like, oh, please. Oh, please. And I'm like, no, this is what's going to happen. And everything I said that was going to happen, happened. And he thought I was crazy, kind of. <laughs> and um, my point is that I've been expecting this kind of thing for a long time because they put all sorts of legislation in place for a long time that allows what's happened to happen started decades ago. They've been amassing power and control and taking away our rights in order to facilitate this. 
and they're not going to go away easily. But we have the opportunity to actually rebuild something more beautiful. And I truly think that that will happen. And I think that will happen because we are the many and they are the few, and we're going to win. I think that evil always loses and the truth always prevails ultimately. And so it is good. It takes time sometimes. I remembered what I was going to ask you, which is right along the lines of what you're saying is, you know, some of the people I interview, like Mark Moss has said this, um, a couple of people have, and I'm starting to arrive at this conclusion, even though I was highly resistant to this whole concept is bring it down, bring it down. It has to come down. Can I tell you, it's really funny. Um, this is why I was I, I was going to say that I started in the beginning of 2020 and I sobbed. I literally sobbed for the first six months of 2020 because I yep. knew what was happening. And I was just like, no one will listen to me, please. You don't understand. You know, you don't see it. You can't. And so, you know, I, I mean, I think people thought I was crazy and all these things. Some people, not, not all people. But anyway, the point is that I really grieved. I grieved deeply stages of grief. I've been through most of the stages of grief. And I, I, I said to this audience recently, please don't lose your sense of outrage. Please don't go through the the stage of grief called acceptance. Yeah. And here's the thing. Okay. So I grieved so much. And then I got to the point where I was like, okay, now I can get up and do something. And I was so focused for those first six months on what was going away, despite the fact that I'd been advocating for organic food and, you know, um, regenerative uh. agriculture and all these things for 25, 30 years, right? I've been involved in all this stuff. I've been advocating for healthy food and safe drinking water and all these kinds of things for so long. And I'm like, wait a second. I've been railing against the system for 20 years. I know it's totally corrupt. I know medicine is totally corrupt. That doesn't mean that I don't want to go to the doctor or to the emergency room if I get in a car crash. That doesn't mean that there's not some part of modern medicine that plays a vital role in our lives. It does. But the vast majority of it is not about your health and well-being, right? Maybe 10% of it we keep, the rest of it. The point is I've been railing against these systems for decades and I'm grieving the loss of them. And I was like, wait a second. No, actually, I need to be, okay, this is sad and it's scary. I have a son. He's 19. I don't want this world that they're trying to foist on us. But I want to build a better one for him. And I want his part in that. And so that's what I focus on. And that's what we can do by building our own healthcare systems outside the old system. Let the old system fall. Let it self-destruct because that's what it's already doing. We are committing political and economic and social suicide right now. This stuff is deliberate. It's not an accident. So let it happen. Just you take up the baton and start building this separate parallel society paradigm, however you want to look at it, as we go along so that you're ready when it comes. And I'm going to be putting on my website under a solutions tab all sorts of materials that help people, that give people ideas for solutions, empower people, and give people a roadmap for how to build some of these things. I love it. And everybody wants from me, okay, Robin, we've heard you. We believe you. We're awake now. What do we do? So those are the things that we're looking for. And that's what we look for at the end of every interview from you know, high level thinkers like you. Um, and so what do we do from here? And so I appreciate that. We're going to put a link. Uh, to Leslie's website down below. Please donate if you can. Obviously, she's doing more than educating. She's also fighting legal battles and being really smart about it and taking these 
senior level uh, litigators that you can't you can't raise them up. You can't take them right out of law school um, and be able to do what these these guys are willing to do because they have a heart for for saving humanity. So and these are lawyers who that. usually get and these are lawyers who usually get twelve hundred dollars an hour and they work for us for. 350 to 500 because they care, but you still have to pay them in order, you know, you have to get them to do it. And they're younger lawyers too, who are under their wings, who they're working with, you know, you have to pay them. It costs money. And I'm sorry, there's, there is money, there's quality in money. You get what you pay for, you know? Yeah. You get what you pay for. We, we learned that early on. We weren't looking for a pro bono lawyer, but one stepped up and said, I'm going to file this class action lawsuit on the behalf of the small businesses against Utah. And I was like, okay. And then he never did anything. And I think he meant to, and he just, you know, they're always going to put the things that pay the bills for their family first. So they have to raise some dang money and put yes. some skin in the game, guys. Give, give Leslie's foundation some money. Give Matt Staver's foundation some money. Like I'm not clutching my money anymore. It's going to not going to be worth that much anyway. So let's plow it into this legal fight. If you have some extra, I realize not everybody does. Um, yeah, I know you're also trying to get prepared and there's sort of like an endless list of things to get prepared until I'm to the point of ridiculous and I just need to let it go at this point. But, um, I just want to tell you how much I appreciate your work. And it was so eye-opening for me to listen to your, uh, your presentation on Reiner Fulmick's grand jury, because you really went into the financial system. And that's a lot of what I was missing is, okay, pensions and stock market and bond market and like we don't know how to think like that. Even even really smart people don't know what's coming, and, and you have been putting a lot of mental energy into that. So thank you so very much, Leslie Manukin. Everybody, go watch her stuff. Any last thought? Just thank you, thank you for all of your for your time, and thank you for all your support. And um, it's been great to be with you. And if you want to dig deeper, I'll come back. We'll, we'll dig okay. deeper. On, I think it's I'm working potentially on a book on all of the medical corruption and how it's all captured. And it's really important information. Come back and talk through your book and we'll we'll uh, promote your book when you're and ready. And pray for us. Please pray for right. us and our lawsuits because we've got, you know, eight lawsuits in the still live that can have a huge impact on all of us. On it. Leslie's lawsuits, everyone. Thank you so much, Leslie Manukian. Thanks, Robin. Thanks, Robin.